You're going to love this. Just love it. Yeah, I don't think you actually will. <laughs> Neither will I. You're not alone. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 98, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN 94.1. Palinville, New York's WLPP 102.9 FM. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Internet every day of the week. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com here live and in studio with you in beautiful, if sweltering, Hollywood at the uh, KPFK Pacifica Radio uh, 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 facility here in uh, in Los Angeles. Glad you could join us. We may take your calls in a little bit at 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. Uh, coming up, uh, Got Thoughts on the special U.S. House elections held yesterday in Georgia and South Carolina? I do. You'll be shocked to learn. Uh, hey, got any thoughts on the hearings today in the U.S. Senate and in the U.S. House Intelligence Committee regarding the alleged attempts to manipulate the results of the 2016 presidential election? I do. You may have some thoughts on that as well. Speaking of the U.S. Senate, got thoughts on the uh, GOP attempting to move its secret health care bill through the Senate before uh, going on July 4th recess next week. We will be talking about some or uh, more of those things today as time allows. Um, and maybe I'll have time to open up the phones to you today. Uh, if you'd like to get in line now, you can. Our number is 818-985-5735. Desi Doyen will be joining us as well, and you can tell that we are live today because that was the wrong show opening, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. That's okay. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We'll try to play. Well, actually, you know what? Let me uh, do. We, do we have that uh, that clip? Let me play that clip just as a, by way of a, a teaser. I think this is number three, Congressman, uh, a Senator now, Roy Blunt, in the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee today, talking right. to Alex Halderman, computer scientist who actually knows what he's talking about. 
when it comes to voting systems because he's hacked them all. Here's 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 that clip that was supposed to open this show. On auditing, how would you audit a non-paper system if it's a touch-screen system? How would you how would you do a non-paper audit that didn't leave a trail? It, it, basically impossible. Yes, not basically impossible, but pretty much completely impossible. And they weren't talking specifically about uh, the race yesterday uh, on Tuesday, I should say, in Georgia's 6th District or in South Carolina's 5th District, both of which were run on 100% unverifiable touchscreens, but they might as, might as well have been. If there was any questions about the results in Georgia or South Carolina, well, you're pretty much out of luck. Let's start with some of those results from those elections, those special U.S. House elections, including Georgia, the most expensive U.S. House race in American history. Uh, That was to replace Trump's uh, health secretary, Tom Price, Congressman Tom Price. Uh, It's a very Republican district. It was a seat held by the GOP since 1979, most famously by Newt Gingrich for uh, about 10 terms, about 20 years. Karen Handel, the Republican, was announced the winner of that race over Democratic candidate John Ossoff. Karen Handel, the former Secretary of State, is said to have won 51.87% to 48.13%. That's a little less than four points, about 10,000 votes uh, over Ossoff, uh, Karen Handel, the former Georgia Secretary of State, who knows those voting systems well, beat first-time Democratic candidate John Ossoff in a Republic in a district that Republican uh, uh, Congressman Tom Price had won by some 24 points just last November. So uh, the Democrats lost. Nonetheless, it was a 20-point swing in favor of the Democrats, at least if you believe the results from Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. And if you don't believe them, well, too bad. You're out of luck. Uh, it's uh, it was also a similar. There, there's nothing to do. You just have to accept the results, as I have been warning about for so long. And uh, there is reason to be very concerned about that, as I'll get to in a moment. Uh, But it was, in any event, if you accept these results, as is, it was uh, a similar swing, uh, frankly, a huge one in favor of Democrats, towards the Democrats, a similar swing that we have seen uh, compared to all of the other special elections so far this year, particularly in deep Republican districts like Georgia's 6th, where Republicans have controlled that House seat since the 70s. Um, looking back, if you look at the margins for the 6th District in Georgia, going all the way back to like the early 90s, um, well, in reverse order, I mentioned uh, it was Republicans plus 24 last, just last November. Today, plus 4, so a 20-point swing. But prior to that, in 2014, it was plus 32 for Republicans in 2012, it was plus 30 for Republicans in 08. It was plus 37 for Republicans in 2006. It was plus 45 and it actually gets higher uh, in 2002. It was 60 points uh, advantage for the Republicans, 50 points in 2000. So Democrats are getting better there, but they're still not winning. It was not a win, and that makes Republicans and Donald Trump very happy today. With more than 250,000 votes cast in that contest in Georgia, 
That is more than the 2014 general election U.S. House race in that same district. According to Michael McDonald of Florida State University's election project, he added, that is just plain nuts. It is nuts. Huge turnout, a lot of attention to that. And that could, of course, be due to the some $55 million that wound up being spent on the race by uh, by both of the candidates and their outside group's supporters uh, combined, according to The New York Times. Outside groups alone spent more than $27 million for one U.S. House seat in uh, the 6th District. That's kind of obscene, if you ask me, that we have that much money in our politics. Um, Pro-Karen Handel forces, the Republican there, uh, spent about two and a half times as much as the pro-Ossoff organizations uh, in that race. So he was outspent in that regard. Uh, and if you want to look at it another way, John Ossoff, the Democratic candidate, actually won. He actually did win this race, at least if we only count verifiable paper ballots. Because there were some of those, very few. There was uh, absentee by mail ballots. And in that case, when people voted on ballots that were actually verifiable, uh, the results as reported, uh, show that uh, Ossoff had uh, almost 18,000 votes to Karen Handel's 10,000 votes. It was almost two to one in favor of Ossoff on verifiable ballots. It was just on the 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreens that uh, Handel was able to beat Ossoff reportedly uh, by, what was that, about 68,000 to 49,000 on those systems. So there you go. Trust those results. I'll leave it to you. We'll talk more about that in a second. But I want to hit the results in South Carolina as well. They also had a U.S. House uh, special election on Tuesday to replace White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney. Again, another very Republican district. So Republican, in fact, that few people were even looking at that race in South Carolina that almost ended up going to the Democrat. I realize almost uh, only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Nonetheless, it was actually really close, closer, in fact, than the percentages suggest. Um, the reported perce uh, percentages show the uh, Republican Ralph Norman winning with just over 51 percent of the vote and Democrat Archie Parnell losing by uh, losing with just under 48 percent of the vote. So about three points. A little more than three points for the Republican Norman over the Democrat Parnell in a district so red that a few had considered it even possible for the Democrats to win that seat. That's why everyone's been talking about Georgia, where that looked possible for a Democratic victory. No one was even looking over at South Carolina. Very little money was spent on that race, and there was very low turnout in that race. Turnout was so low uh, in fact, that uh, Parnell, the Democrat, almost pulled it off. It was closer than the Georgia race. Three-point margin uh, here is, is somewhat deceiving. In fact, Parnell lost by just barely 3,000 votes out of some 87,000 votes cast. But South Carolina, like Georgia, also had all of their votes cast on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems on Election Day. 100 percent faith based voting 
in Georgia. They were machines made by Diebold, which is now a company out of business. Those machines uh, go back to at least 2002. They run on Windows 2000, in case that gives you any confidence in those systems. Uh, in South Carolina, their 100% unverifiable systems are made by ESNS. That's the largest voting machine company in the country. Also, uh, with some of the hinkiest election results across the nation over the past decade, thanks to those very machines, those ESNS iVotronics, 100% unverifiable. That, those are the same machines, and by the way, the same state that elected uh, the uh, <laughs> the candidate in the Democratic primary back in 2010, a guy by the name of Alvin Green, who no one had ever heard of, who didn't run any campaign at all. He had no website, no cell phone. He lived with his dad. Nobody knew who he was, and yet he won the primary for the U.S. Senate on the Democratic side, if you believe these unverifiable voting machines. More on that in a moment, too. Philip Bump of the Washington Post notes that it is worth remembering that the two seats that were uh, running very close, very, very close on Tuesday night, were won by Republican candidates just seven months ago by 23 and a half points and 20 and a half points, uh, respectively, uh, now down to either three or four point margin in each place. That can't uh, lead Republicans to feeling very comfortable today. Nonetheless, a win is a win and a loss is a loss as far as they're concerned. Um, and it will no doubt boost the Republican uh, GOP Trump efforts for pretty much everything, like the one uh, on uh, to gut health care to millions of Americans in exchange for massive tax cuts to the wealthy that the Senate plans to push through the Senate next week. So there is lots of hand-wringing, of course, by Democrats today. The internist and intra-party battles uh, continue over whether Democrats should run more to the progressive left, like Bernie Sanders, or toward the center, like Hillary Clinton, uh, and like John Ossoff in Georgia, who ran more to the center. Many progressives are saying today that the results in the 6th District in Georgia prove that Democrats should have more progressive candidates. But remember, it was just a few weeks ago in Montana's uh, special U.S. House election that uh, Rob Quist, the Democratic candidate up there, he also lost after running very closely with Bernie Sanders, who campaigned with him over the final uh, weekend up there. And after that loss, Democrats, uh, uh, many said that it proved that Democrats needed to run more to the center to have run uh, to run more centrist candidates. But, you know, here's the thing uh, with all of this hand wringing. If when we walk away, we can't even know that the candidate, whoever it may be, actually won or lost. What the hell are we doing trying to figure out, oh, you know, it should be uh, Democrats should run a candidate more like this or more like that. If you don't have confidence, if you don't know if the election system actually works, why drive yourself crazy over trying to figure out, you know, what type of candidate should run? This statement comes from Garland Favorito. We've had him on the show. He's uh, the founder of Voter GA, a longtime election integrity advocate in Georgia, um, who figured out what happened in the primary election night on this Georgia 6th race when the electronic tabulators went down for hours. 
and uh, results were held up completely just as the Democratic candidate was right above the 50 percent mark. Had he stayed above that 50 percent mark, he would have won the race outright without having to go to the uh, Tuesday runoff at all. This was back in April. But just as he was above that mark, suddenly the counting stopped in Fulton County, Georgia. And uh, we are told later on it was because uh, a memory card from a completely different election was uploaded into the central tabulator, made all the numbers go hinky. But the central tabulator accepted those numbers, accepted those false results from a memory card that wasn't even from the election in question. That's what Garland Favorito and his uh, VoterGA.org group was able to figure out, at least, based on their analysis. He puts out a statement today saying the unofficial 6th District special election runoff results uh, have been recorded on Georgia's voting equipment that was formerly produced by Diebold Election Systems. They're now out of business. Uh, He says weary voters can now have rest from the bombardment of both political campaigns uh, Secretary of State uh, Brian Kemp kept his promises, quote, to ensure victory at the ballot box. Yes, the Republican Secretary of State promised that to voters, to ensure victory at the ballot box. The chief election official in Georgia. Uh, I should say he uh, to ensure victory at the ballot box, specifically for the former Secretary of State, Republican Karen Handel. Favorito noticed that, noted Notes that is eerily similar to the pledge made by Diebold's CEO way back when in 2003 uh, in a fundraising invitation when he wrote, I am committed to helping Ohio deliver its electoral votes to the president next year. His voting machines ended up doing just that in the state of Ohio back in 2004. But politics aside, Favorito says the hackable election results defy common sense. On the June 20th runoff, they show Handel edging opponents, uh, Handel edging opponent John Ossoff, um, 51.8 to 48.1. And I should be specific here. Ossoff got 48.13 percent on Tuesday night. In April, in the uh, general election, Ossoff received 48.12%. Almost the exact same percentage of the vote went to John Ossoff in both cases. In one case, he was running against uh, 17 candidates. In that first case, in the general election, uh, in fact, he got a higher percentage of votes running against uh, 17 opponents on April 18th than he did against just one opponent on June 20. Ossoff's June 20th percentage does not even equal April 18th's totals uh, for Democrats of about uh, 49 percent. Favorito says the hackable election results also defy all election polls that were conducted before the election. Ossoff was ahead by anywhere from one to seven points in pretty much every poll in Georgia's 6th District. Handel was never ahead in any poll, he says. So we must decide that either every single poll was wrong or or that the hackable voting results are wrong themselves. Was the uh, Georgia 6th election hacked? He asks, no one is likely to ever know for sure. But it has been shown that voting machine files at the Center for Election Systems at Kennesaw State University, which programs every single voting machine and every single electronic poll book in uh, in the state of Georgia, 
Those files, as I discussed in great detail on Monday's show, you can go back and download it at bradblog.com if you like. Those files, um, including passwords to the voting systems, had been sitting at Kennesaw State University on their uh, unprotected Center for Election Systems website. No password required to download these files, some 15 gigabytes of information, including every voter record, including uh, passwords to the electronic voting systems and tabulators, sitting there since August of last year. When a security researcher noticed it and told the head of uh, the Center for Elections about it, and the Center for Elections guy by the name of uh, Merle King, the executive director, Merle King, who testifies in favor of these 100 percent unverifiable systems all over the country, has been doing it for years, telling everyone how wonderful these systems are. He was told that these files with the passwords were sitting we're sitting on an unprotected web web server available for anyone to download. And what did Merle King do? He said, oh, don't tell the secretary of state. I'll get that taken care of. He covered it up. He covered up the entire thing. This Center for Elections at Kennesaw State University gets some seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year from the state of Georgia to do all of this, to do all this programming, to oversee the security of every voting machine in the state. And their executive director essentially covered up this huge security lapse and did not correct it. We learned that uh, in early March, those files were still there. Those unprotected files were still there for download by anyone. And no, not just Russians. Anyone, any country, any American foreign or domestic could have had uh, got, got access to these systems that control uh, essentially the control of voting systems across the state of Georgia. Uh, and this guy, Merle King, did nothing. Uh, we, we talked about this on Monday uh, uh, going through Kim Zetter's story at Politico uh, with a headline, uh, Will Georgia's Election Be Hacked? The answer is we have no idea. If it will be hacked, if it was hacked, we have no idea. That's what we're dealing with. I'm not saying that it was. I'm not even saying Favorito is correct here uh, with his analysis and his particular concerns about the hackable election results. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Karen Handel, who was announced the winner, she doesn't know. John Ossoff, the Democrat who, who is said to have lost, he doesn't know. Brian Kemp. The election, uh, the, the, the chief election official right now in the state of Georgia, the secretary of state, he doesn't know. He has no idea if those results are accurate or not. So with all of this hand wringing, uh, you know, about what type of candidate Democrats should or shouldn't be running, you know, I got to say, before you waste your time on all of that, are you, are you sure, Democrats, that your candidate actually lost? I noted on Twitter last night in a bit of a rant as these uh, results were coming in that, that it's remarkable the, the, the amount of effort and resources and money that folks are willing to put into first into elections. You've got, you know, the most expensive house race ever. Fifty five million dollars for a house seat that nobody nobody knows who actually won it or lost it. And then analysis thereafter, you know, uh, people uh, you know, going crazy on Twitter. Democrats need to do that or this. 
And they do this without verifying that a single vote was recorded accurately, which is especially true in, I mean, this happens all over the country, but it's especially true even on paper ballot systems. Yes, those are counted by computers as well and not verified. But it's especially true in places like Georgia, Georgia's 6th district and South Carolina's 5th district where it is 100% impossible to know that even one vote was cast at the polls uh, in a way that was intended by the voters. Impossible. Add to that the, that, the, you know, the folks that who programmed these 100 uh, percent unverifiable voting systems also covered up the fact that system passwords were stolen or at least were kept unsecured. We don't know if they were uh, taken. They were kept unsecure on a web server for months. Maybe they had been there for years. We discovered them last August and it was only uh, April of this year that they finally came down. So they were up there last year for the presidential election as well. And by the way, Karen Handel, the former secretary of state, now congresswoman-elect, she completely covered, covered up these huge security problems with that group, Kennesaw State University, the Center for Elections there. When she was secretary of state, she covered up huge security concerns and problems with that same group. Go read Kim Zetter's story at, uh, at Politico. So uh, someday, you know, maybe we will care about democracy as much as we care about politics in this country. And maybe, just maybe then, Democrats might start winning again. Who knows? This uh, very issue came up today in, in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committees, where intelligence officials, elections officials... And most importantly, uh, computer scientists, I should say one, one computer scientist was testifying about concerns regarding last year's presidential election and whether the results may have been manipulated in some fashion. Yes, Democrats were busy in Congress today worrying about whether Russia influenced last year's election while paying absolutely zero heed to whether the election held in Georgia or South Carolina on Tuesday night actually accurately reflected the will of the American voters. It's kind of mind-blowing, frankly. But that story and your calls, if I can get to them, are next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is The Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Georgia. Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song, keeps Georgia on my mind. Well, I don't know if it's a sweet song that keeps Georgia on my mind, but it is on my mind today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Try to get to some of your calls if I can here. A lot to get through. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 
Uh, The U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee held hearings today with intelligence community officials, uh, cyber, supposedly cyber experts from uh, DHS and FBI. Uh, There were election officials there, and there was one actual voting machine and computer science expert, a guy by the name of Dr. Alex Holderman, professor uh, at the University of Michigan. We've had him on the show several times over the years. He knows what he is talking about. Pretty much uh, none of the other folks who testified today did, uh, at least from what I saw of the hearings. Uh, Desi, you, you watched m- more of them than I did. <laughs> yes, uh, I watched all of them. Yeah. I mean, am I right in that assessment that Holderman knows what he's talking about? These election officials don't really know what they're talking about. Well, they did not seem to have any idea about the actual cybersecurity aspects. I mean, they understood sort of the ideas of systems and everything, but they're really coming from behind on this. They really have no idea uh, about cybersecurity when it comes to election systems, which is remarkable. Including the Department of Homeland Security and FBI uh, cyber experts who testified. Yes, it was clear to me that they had no idea, had no background on cybersecurity for election systems. A Holderman, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Pretty much none of these other folks did. You know, this was meant to look into the alleged interference by Russia into the 2016 presidential election in the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee, including the assertion that uh, hacks or attempted hacks were made to intrude into at least the voter registration systems in some 21 states or 39 states, depending on who your source is for this, uh, prior to the uh, prior to last year's elections. But for the moment, I want to focus on Halderman's testimony, since since he actually knows what he's talking about, because he has actually hacked into many, if not most, if not all of the voting systems that we currently use across the country and indeed that we used yesterday in Georgia and South Carolina. Even as these intelligence officials and election officials uh, testified uh, today and continued to insist that the results were not manipulated last year. Oh, maybe they tried to get into the voter registration system, but the results, we don't need to worry about those. Those were not touched. And in any event, they like to say our system is just too diverse, too decentralized to be hacked in a presidential election. Oh, and they insist that all the machines were never connected to the Internet, so there's nothing to worry about there either. They are wrong on simply every single count there. So I want to share some of Halderman's testimony with you. I'm going to I'm going to read here from his prepared testimony because I think that'll be faster. I'll be able to get in more information from it um, uh, that the stuff that you need to know. That uh, apparently uh, our our nation's top intelligence cybersecurity officials are clueless about. I'll read part of his uh, testimony here. This is his prepared testimony uh, from Dr. Alex uh, J. Alex Holderman, professor of computer science at University of Michigan. He says, a large part of my work over the last 10 years has been studying the computer technology that our election system relies on. In this work, I often lead the, quote, red team, playing the role of a potential attacker. The red team is that those are the bad guys, the hackers here in these uh, cyber scenarios playing the role of a potential hacker to find where systems and practices are vulnerable and to learn how to make them stronger. I know firsthand how easy it can be to manipulate computerized voting machines as part of security testing. I've performed attacks on widely used voting machines and I've had students, students successfully attack machines under my supervision. Halderman notes that today the vast majority of votes are cast using one 
of two computerized methods. Most states and most voters use the first type called optical scan ballots in which a voter fills out a paper ballot that is then scanned and counted by a computer. The other widely used approach is voters interact directly with a computer rather than marking a choice on a piece of paper. It's called a DRE or Direct Recording Electronic Voting system with DRE voting machines, he notes, the primary records of the vote are stored only in computer memory. There is no paper. Both optical scanners and DRE voting machines are computers, he notes. Under the hood, they're not so different from your laptop or your smartphone, although they tend to be much older technology, sometimes decades out of date. I already mentioned that the machines used in Georgia yesterday have Windows 2000 running on them. That's 17 years old, in case you're wondering. Fundamentally, uh, Halderman says they suffer from security weaknesses similar to those of other computer devices. I know uh, because I develop ways to attack many of them myself as part of my research into election security threats. Ten years ago, Halderman says, I was part of the first academic team to conduct a comprehensive security analysis of a DRE touchscreen voting machine. We examined what was at that time the most widely used touchscreen DRE in the country and spent several months probing it for vulnerabilities. And now here I should note full disclosure, that machine that Alex Halderman was uh, looking at uh, 10 years ago at Princeton University uh, was a machine that came from a source of mine that we were able to uh, obtain at the time before it was easy to get at these machines. We gave it to Princeton and this is the study that he did. He says what we found disturbing we could, was that we could reprogram the machine to invisibly cause any candidate to win, any candidate to win. He says we also created malicious software, vote-stealing code that could spread from machine to machine like a computer virus and silently, silently change the election outcome. And here I will note that the machine that he tested 10 years ago, uh, after we were able to give him one to look at at Princeton, uh, was a Diebold touchscreen machine. The exact same Diebold touchscreen machine, 100% unverifiable. I mean, literally, the exact same uh, system that was used yesterday across uh, Georgia's 6th District in the most expensive U.S. house race in history. Same machines. And yet that was him. That was Alex Halderman testifying today to the U.S. House Intelligence Committee about these machines when they didn't really talk about what happened in Georgia on those very same machines just yesterday, just the day before. He goes on to say in his testimony, vulnerabilities like these are endemic throughout our election system. Cybersecurity experts have studied a wide range of U.S. voting machines, including both DRE touchscreens and optical scanners. And in, this is in italics, every single case, Holderman writes, they have found severe vulnerabilities that would allow hackers, attackers, to sabotage machines and to alter votes. That's why there is overwhelming consensus in the cybersecurity community an election integrity research community that our elections are at risk. He goes on to say, of course, interfering in a state or national election is a bigger job than just attacking a single machine. Some say the decentralized nature of the U.S. voting system and the fact that voting machines aren't directly connected to the Internet make changing a state or national election outcome impossible. 
Unfortunately, Halderman says that is not true. And this is something we heard all year long uh, last year. And, uh, you know, the machines, they're never. And we heard it today in the U.S. Senate. Halderman had to basically contradict all of these uh, cybersecurity folks, all of these election officials folks and say, no, that's not true. They are connected in various ways to the Internet. He writes in his testimony, some election functions are actually quite centralized. A small number of election technology vendors and support contractors service the systems used by many local governments. Attackers could just target one, one of these companies and spread malicious code to election equipment that serves millions of voters. Furthermore, in close elections, decentralization can actually work against us. An attacker can probe different areas of the most important swing states for vulnerabilities, find the areas that have the weakest protection, and strike there. In a close election, changing a few votes may be enough to tip the results, and an attacker can choose where and on which equipment to steal those votes. State and local elections are also at risk. And in fact, it was a very few votes. It was just three votes in each precinct in three key states, Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Last year in November 2016, just three votes had just three votes been recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump in each precinct. Just three votes. Donald Trump would not be the president today. Hillary Clinton would have. Halderman goes on to say, our election infrastructure is not as distant from the Internet as it may seem. Before every election, voting machines need to be programmed with the design of the ballot, the races and candidates. This programming is created on a desktop computer and then transferred to voting machines using a USB stick or a memory card. These systems are generally run by county IT personnel or by private contractors. Unfortunately, election management systems are not adequately protected. These computers that do all the programming, they are not properly isolated from the Internet. Attackers who compromise an election management system can spread vote-stealing malware to large numbers of voting machines. So I just want to reiterate yeah. real quick. Basically, whenever you hear an election official say, well, the voting machines aren't connected to the Internet, that could very well be true, that the voting machine, particular individual machine they're using, is not connected to the Internet, but the machine that programmed it was. And the machine that programmed it was uh, connected to the Internet. And then you, you, know, you have to get the programming from that machine to the voting machine or to the central tabulator that collects all of the results. Exactly. All of these machines are connected in one way or another to the Internet. I've got uh, had something uh, from uh, again from Voter GA on this uh, who noted a couple of weeks ago in an, in an email. Uh, Garland Favorito uh, says that even on election night, remember, they take the uh, they, they go to the central tabulator. They put a memory stick in there. And then they walk over to a different computer to upload the results to the Internet, to the uh, systems that you read, the, uh, the, um, the company in this case called Clarity that posts the results that you follow on election night. Then they take that stick out, they bring it back, and they put it back into the central tabulator again to get more results. The main machine. The main machine, which has now just been in a machine that is connected to the Internet. That's just one example. And that was what was so remarkable, that the fact that the DHS and FBI officials did not seem to know this. And they, no, they don't know. And they don't know if the, if the election was hacked at all. This is just, you know, amazing to me. They have this hearing today in the U.S. Senate. 
Uh, and this, according to CNN's coverage of today's hearing, Russian government linked hackers potentially targeted as many as 21 state election systems last year. A Homeland Security official warned Congress on Wednesday. None of those systems were involved in vote counting, however, CNN says. Now, no actual evidence was offered uh, to back up the assertion of Russian government-linked hackers, but neither was any evidence offered uh, to show that there was no uh, vote counting that was manipulated in any way. None. They can't offer that evidence because they never checked. I want to focus on that vote counting assertion. This has been made over and over again by both Republicans and Democrats. And the fact is, they have no idea. They have no idea whether Russia or any other country or anybody in this country or even any election officials, whether they manipulated any of the uh, uh, vote counting because they didn't check. And finally, today, they admitted that over at the Daily Beast. From Kevin Collier, uh, despite assurances from the U.S. intelligence community that Russian hacking only influenced the 2016 U.S. election and didn't change vote tallies, there was never a actually a formal federal audit of those systems, the Department of Homeland Security said. And this is what I have been saying for so many months since the election. Susan Greenhall, uh, who serves uh, over at De Verified Voting, um, org. This is a nonprofit uh, election integrity group said, I think there's a presumption amongst both the general public and lawmakers that the Department of Homeland Security did some sort of investigation. She says it didn't happen. That doesn't mean that that something happened in the uh, you know, that the results were manipulated, she says, but it also means that it wasn't investigated. DHS's role in uh, state, county, and local voting systems, uh, they finally admit, was very limited. Even though they have been saying over and over again that there was uh, no tampering with the, uh, with the vote counting and the vote tallying, uh, they have now admitted, uh, a spokesman did to Daily Beast, that no, in the months leading up to the election, DHS made its cybersecurity services available to state, county, and local officials— but when asked if the agency conducted a federal audit of the machines or of the results, DHS didn't verify vote counts or the vote tabulation systems. That was None. Some, that was something that was covered on today's hearing. Um, yeah. If you want to, uh, Oregon Senator Ron Wyden asked directly, "Did you do any forensic examination of the machines?" Do we got that? Yeah. Department conducted any kind of post-election forensics on the voting machines that were used in 2016? We have not, our department has not conducted forensics on specific voting machines. So, nothing. Nothing. They didn't check the voting machines. They didn't check the results. They are making it up when they say that uh, no results were manipulated in, in have, 2016. Or that they have no evidence They're making that it, it up. was. They didn't look for evidence, so of course they don't have any evidence. Yep. Uh, that's the kind of system we are running, and uh, the people who are supposed to be overseeing it know absolutely nothing about it, or they're willing to lie about it. Let me. I'm sorry, let me get to some quick calls here, because I know we got to get to... Uh, a break here in the Green News report coming up. But this uh, this just drives me absolutely nuts. Short drive. John in Sun Valley, welcome to the broadcast. Hello. Hey. Um, well, this is a kind of an obvious question. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I haven't heard of a, 
anything like this. But uh, is there going to be a legal challenge uh, for constitutionality of this? And if not, why not? Uh, you know what? You'll have to ask Democrat John Ossoff. You'll have to ask the Democrats. Um, there was a challenge. That, uh, well, the voters in the district, there was a lawsuit that was brought uh, prior to the election in hopes of moving from the unverifiable system to paper ballot systems. Uh, and we covered that in detail on this show. We had the plaintiff on this show. Uh, that case was thrown out largely on a technicality uh, about uh, two weeks before the election. And now the plaintiffs may consider refiling the case in Georgia. Uh, but once the election, there's there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, those are the results there. You know, you can do a forensic study. You may be able to come up with evidence that something went wrong on the system. But, you know, they tried to do that after the presidential election. You remember Jill Stein tried to do that. She filed for recounts in Michigan, Wisconsin and uh, uh, Pennsylvania. The Democrats did not do so. They did not help her. And the Republicans went to court and stopped all of those counts. So if they stopped the counts in a presidential election with the most bizarre results ever, uh, you know, what chances are there in Georgia, John? Well, may I suggest to somebody who who donated part of that 20 or $30 million to this Ossoff guy, mm-hmm. donated some money to some lawyers to keep it going. Yeah. And yeah. not give up and just say, oh, there's, we tried and we can't do it anymore. There's nothing we can do. Oh, well. Yeah, no. That's the kind, of, kind of defeatist attitude that, that the opposition mm-hmm. uh, relies upon to stay alive or to survive and dominate. Uh, uh, and I hear you, John. <clears throat> I agree. And I think anyway, people... If, uh, if uh, the $20 million people uh, are listening, uh, mm-hmm. donate your money somewhere where it does some good. Couldn't couldn't agree more, John. Uh, in this case, uh, VoterGA.org has been great on this issue. I know they probably need some help. I know the Rocky Mountain Foundation. They were the uh, uh, one of the plaintiffs in that uh, specifically in that lawsuit. Uh, I'm sure they could use your support. And yeah, we you know we keep seeing this huge amount of money going to candidates, going to you know the Democratic Party, going to the Republican Party. Uh, but what about the people who are fighting like hell to make sure your electoral system actually works and that it can be overseen by the public? Even Alex Halderman, by the way, who offered us you know, several suggestions uh, in that uh, hearing today, good ones, good suggestions that we need to get rid of all of the touchscreen machines, go to paper ballots altogether. But, uh, you know, they're still, be- they're still being counted on computers, which he knows can be hacked. He has pointed that out. He's hacked them himself. He's calling for post-election audits of a small sampling. Well, I've seen those post-election audits, and I've seen them be gamed. We need hand-counted paper ballots at the election, uh, at the precinct, on election night, overseen by all parties, the public, the media, the video cameras, and everything else. That is the only thing that I have ever seen that will give true assurance to the public that the results are accurate, or if they're not, that we've caught the bad guys in the act. That's it. Um, It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple solution, and we're about to just make it even worse. We're about to get all new computers that have all the same uh, problems. We're going to 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems here in Los Angeles soon. 
the largest voting jurisdiction in the country. We are going in the wrong direction. I don't know how to make that any clearer. But I'll keep driving you crazy about it uh, because someone has to, because someone has to talk about this, because someone has to keep pointing these things out. We spend so much time and effort and money on elections in these countries and on candidates and on the parties, but on the actual electoral system, yeah, sue them. Please sue them. Sue anywhere you can. Somehow we've got to get a foothold into the system to make it clear, as they have in, in Germany, for example. The high court in Germany outlawed these type of uh, unverifiable voting systems and counting systems. they got to be counted by hand. They have to be overseen by actual people. All right. Uh <laughs> The, the, you know, and the fact that election officials are out there in the U.S. Senate saying, oh, you know, we don't need to worry. The machines are never uh, connected to the Internet. No. And you got the intelligence people. Oh, we don't need to, to, to worry. They, they didn't get through to any uh, of the actual vote totals. They either both don't know or they both are lying. Take your pick. Listen to Alex Holderman. He's the only one worth listening to. He's the only one who knows what he's talking about. He's the only one who has ever actually worked with these machines, actually hacked into these systems. That's why he's been on the show many times over the years as we've been trying to point this out. Yeah, I think it matters. I think elections matter. Uh, Des, someone wrote in here with the, uh, uh, the, uh, the question, uh, we should boycott elections and refuse to vote until these systems are made secure. That was Roger in Venice. I didn't have yes. time to get to him. Uh, he couldn't hold. But uh, Roger, uh, yeah, if you want to make sure that no one uh, needs to bother to steal your vote, then absolutely boycott. You're giving away your vote for free. It's about the dumbest thing I could think of. Well, I can understand where the idea comes from, but yeah, basically. But it's stupid. <laughs> other people it's will come stupid. out and vote instead, and then you lose. You don't. They don't need to steal your vote if you give it to them. Andrew in Santa Monica asks, with uh, what we know about the voting machines, can we ever trust any election results? No, you can't. Even hand-counted paper ballots. You are not supposed to trust your electoral system. You are supposed to oversee your electoral system. Elections are not about trust. They are about checks and balances and oversight. And that's what we're fighting for here. And I'll keep up the fight. I hope you'll join me. A quick break and we're back with the Green News Report and maybe some more of your calls if I can get to them. Uh, hang on, Morris. Uh, this is Brad Friedman and this is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, 
Thank you. And as if all of this isn't bad enough, the world is melting. We're in the middle of yet another uh, record heat wave out here in the West. That's just another reason why these elections matter. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with Desi Doyen. Yes. Are you ready for it? It's pretty sweltering, definitely. All right. <laughs> Let's get to it. Uh, our la- And Morris, hang on. Did I tell him to hang on? Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Heat is on this week, and we are expected to see at least 115 degrees or higher. Record heat wave scorches western U.S. The health crisis in Flint has created a trust crisis in Michigan government. New criminal indictments in the Flint water crisis. Portuguese officials are calling this the greatest wildfire tragedy in recent history. Massive wildfires in Portugal killed 62. May 2017 was the second or third hottest May ever recorded, plus a court victory and an environmental award for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. All of those victories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Mining coal isn't very good for you. Neither is burning it. It's the reason why there's a billion and a half people in China, but you can only see four of them. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, summer has barely begun, and it's already a scorcher out west. Yeah, it's not just any heat wave. It is a record heat wave scorching the western U.S. The National Weather Service issued an excessive heat warning for cities across the western U.S. this week as the worst heat wave in decades breaks all-time or near all-time heat records from Sacramento to Tucson, Arizona. At Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, some flights have already been canceled because excessive heat makes planes lose lift. Mm. It's serious enough that officials in Arizona have warned residents, quote, don't go outside in the middle of the day unless you really must. They are pushing temperatures of nearly 120 degrees in the desert in Phoenix right now. Yeah, it's bad. Killer heat waves could become the new normal with global warming. That's according to a new study from the University of Hawaii. Analyzing data on deadly heat waves going back to the 1980s, the researchers project an alarming increase in the number of deadly heat days on every single continent with global warming. At current rates of fossil fuel emissions, AP reports that by the end of the century, the southern United States could expect to see sustained lethal temperatures all summer long, and some tropical regions could face deadly heat conditions nearly all year round. But the researchers say by then, hopefully, people will learn to adapt. The impacts extend beyond heat to wildfires. In Portugal over the weekend, massive, fast-moving wildfires fueled by record heat killed at least 62 people, many of them trapped in their cars by fast-moving flames as they tried to evacuate. Meanwhile, May 2017 was the second hottest May on record globally since record keeping began in the 1880s. That's according to data from NASA, but it was the third hottest May on record according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which uses a slightly different temperature data set. But no matter how you measure it, global warming is continuing. 
In the Flint water crisis, Michigan Attorney General Bill Schutte has charged two high-ranking state health officials on new felony charges, including misconduct in office and involuntary manslaughter. The new charges stem from an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease that killed 12 people and sickened 70, which occurred at the same time as widespread lead contamination, resulting from a state-appointed emergency manager switching the city's water source. But officials never informed residents about either issue. Attorney General Schutte said he hopes the ongoing investigation will help restore accountability and trust in government. Schutte seems to be rounding up a lot of people in this investigation and bringing criminal charges. And I should note here, he's a Republican. But he hasn't yet worked his way up to the governor of Michigan, has he? No, he hasn't. Hopefully he's headed in that direction. Good news for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe in North Dakota in its fight against the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline. A U.S. District Court judge on Friday ordered the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to reconsider its environmental review of the pipeline, ruling that the Corps failed to consider environmental justice or the impacts of an oil spill on the tribe's fishing and hunting rights when it suddenly reversed course earlier this year and approved the pipeline after an executive order from President Donald Trump. Now, the court could have stopped it before that oil started flowing, right? Yes, he could have. And yet, the court waited until after the oil was flowing to say they didn't do the environmental review correctly. That's right. Well, let's hope that pipeline doesn't start leaking before the court makes its next ruling. More good news. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe has also received the first ever Henry Wallace Award, a $250,000 grant from the Wallace Global Fund for their courage and persistence in standing up for environmental justice in their pipeline fight. The Wallace Global Fund also pledged an additional investment of up to $1 million to help the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and other tribes transition to 100% renewable energy. Good for them. They deserve it. We all owe the Standing Rock Sioux a debt of gratitude. For much more on those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Let me get to uh, Morris. Morris, I'm sorry. i got to give you like 15 seconds here. They're going to kill me. What's up, Morris? Welcome to the broadcast. All I need is 10. What did the Democrats stand for? You can't tell me. And why don't they argue for more transparency? Because there's no honor among thieves. And Brad, your name is in the mix. Secretary of State of California. Talk to you later. <laughs> like I don't have enough problems. Thank you, Morris. You rock. Uh, my apologies to all the callers I couldn't get to. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to G, our angry soundboard operator, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. You can also drop me email. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. We will be back with you again tomorrow. Oh, news on uh, oh good on Chelsea Manning. Uh, good. That's gonna be fun. That'll be tomorrow's Bradcast. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.